All right, you guys, this morning we are continuing our sermon series called The Great Adventure. We are in week three of a four-week series, and, uh, and in this we are taking a look specifically at th- this unique age in which we live, this age of the gospel, really, that, that we live after the cross and before the second coming, that, that we have this incredible thing entrusted to us called the gospel, and we have this incredible responsibility with it called evangelism. And so this morning, last two weeks, we've really been digging into the gospel and talking about just the wonder and the beauty and the complexity and the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking specifically about um, what we do with the gospel. So we're going to be taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up your iPhone apps or whatever it is, go to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab the one on the floor in front of you or underneath your chair. And if you don't own a Bible... Um, let, it, let that be our gift to you. We would love for, for you to walk out of here with the Bible today. Anything we can do to equip you to read and, and study and get into the Word of God um, is a great blessing to us. And so um, if you're using one of our Bibles, we're going to page 966, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 14 and going through chapter 6, verse 1, starting in verse 14. For the love of, of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old one has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The word of the Lord. You guys, let's take one more moment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the great privilege we have of opening this word and studying it. This is an incredible gift, a revelation of who you are and what you've done and who we are and what we can be. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would light us up in ways that only your spirit can, that, that our hearts would come alive, that, that your love would grip our hearts and release us to the freedom of love, loving you and loving each other, and, and then loving this incredible thing, this, this thing that you're doing right now. Um, give us eyes to see what's truly worthwhile, a vision to see what genuinely lasts. Bless us. I bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, guys, in this passage, Paul is defending his ministry, and you kind of pick that up a little bit in the language. There's a little bit of defensiveness in the surrounding, but also in this passage. It wasn't uncommon. You know, Paul went around, and he would start these churches. He would show up someplace where no one had heard about Jesus, and he would just start talking about Jesus and telling who God was and what he did, and people would become believers, and they would start gathering as a local church, and pretty soon he raised up leaders in those church, and, and then he would move on. That was his role, right? He would start it. He would get it going. He would raise up leaders, and he'd move on and start new churches. And we see that pattern um, throughout his life after he became a believer. It wasn't uncommon after he started a church for people to come in and try to take advantage of what he had started. He was like the ship out there creating the wake. You know what I'm saying? Like he was the one cutting the path uh, and making it smooth. And then people would come in behind him, uh, false teachers. Bible calls them wolves among sheep. They, they come in and they act like a sheep, but really they're not there to be a sheep. They're there to gain their own following, to build their own kingdom. They're trying to kind of take it and, and redirect the course, right? Don't, don't follow the gospel. Follow me. Make me important, right? And that was happening in Corinth, sadly. It happened throughout uh, uh, quite a bit in the New Testament. And so he's having to defend himself a little bit. He's having to defend his ministry and, and call those that, that he loves and, and who love him and know him to trust him. Well, what he ends up doing in order to defend himself is that he unpacks the principles that drive his ministry. What he's saying is, this is what I do, and this is why I do what I do. It is powerfully insightful for us as we talk about the gospel and about evangelism and how we're supposed to live this stuff out. And here's the bottom line. I know this to be true. Most of us have a hard time knowing how to share our faith. If you're a follower of Christ, there have been times where you've had difficulty knowing um, or even being motivated, maybe, to, to share your faith with somebody who thinks differently or um, maybe you felt compelled and, and you pulled back or maybe you just didn't even know how to start the conversation or, or, or how to, to not make it awkward. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the why of evangelism. What is the driving motivation that leads us to proselytize? <laughs> those are not nice words in our culture. People don't like those words, evangelize, proselytize. It sounds so intolerant. It sounds so um, uh, offensive, really. I'm going to try and make a case for it this morning that, that honestly it isn't intolerant and that it is, in fact, an act of love, and it can be done with great respect for those that have heard. But we're going to talk about the why, why we're compelled to do so. Next week, we're going to talk about the how. How can we do it without being weird? right? Here's the thing. Um, the gospel carries an offense. People sometimes get offended by the gospel. The problem is a lot of times people get offended by us long before they get offended by the gospel, right? We get in the way. So how do we get out of the way and let God do his thing, right? How do we do it in such a way that it's, that it's authentic to who we are and real to the relationship? How do we do it in such a way that it honors the person we're talking to, even if they disagree with us? Those are the things we're getting into next week. Um, and I want to encourage you this Wednesday night, we have a great opportunity. We're going to be having an evangelism forum here at 630 crickets. I know as soon as I say evangelism forum, man, there's like, you're right. Cause it doesn't really connect with this deep felt need. Most of us don't like evangelism and we don't want to know how to do it better because we don't want to do it to begin with. Right. If I was doing a sex forum or if I was doing a, uh, you know what I'm saying? People are like, Oh yeah. You know, maybe even a finance forum. You're like, ah, but maybe, you know, um, but you start talking about this and, it, and it's crickets. What I'm telling you is, is that this is going to be a great discussion. I'm going to be up here with, with a couple of our leaders, uh, Lee and Emily Ruppel. Um, they've kind of been commissioned by our church. They, they, they serve in a ministry called Crew, and they serve at SIUE and a number of other surrounding colleges. And, and they have learned um, how to authentically share their faith, honestly. 
Um, they became believers and then just got lit up with the gospel and love sharing their faith. And so we're going to have this conversation about how we do it. And we're going to share stories about where we failed and, and, and where we found success and, and how we can do this well. And we want to invite you into that conversation. We want to invite you to be part of that so that you can be equipped and encouraged and strengthened in this. Okay. So this uh, Wednesday night, 630, really encourage you to come. In our text, Paul lays out a case for believing and sharing the gospel. It is good news. But here's what I want you to catch. Good news has to be heard to be good. Good news has to be heard to be good. January of this year, a notable figure died that I'm guessing most of you have never heard of. His name was Hiru Onoda. He was very famous in Japan. Not so much here. Um, Interesting figure. Um, During World War II, he was assigned to one of the islands in the Philippines, And he was given a very simple mission. His mission was to disrupt any allied um, activity. So if they landed on the island, they were to be kind of engaged in in guerrilla warfare to disrupt lines of communication, disrupt lines of supplies, destroy airfields, mess up commerce. That was their job. And so they were on this island and and they were supposed to... to, uh, just kind of be this guerrilla force. They were given very clear instructions. Never surrender. Never commit suicide. Never surrender. And if you get captured, you're not given the, uh, you don't have the, you know, the Japanese right of, of committing suicide. You, you would never surrender, never commit suicide. World War II ended in 1945. This guy didn't stop fighting until 1974. The good news of the end of the war just didn't reach him. Why? Because no one came to tell him. He is isolated in the hills of this little island, and, and, and he's up there just fighting, right? And so they continue to disrupt the fishing industry. They continue to disrupt the flow of, of traffic, and, and, and they continue to like, have armed military engagement with the people of the island because they perceive them as enemies, as part of the, the allied forces, right? Um. He stayed in those hills and he fought for about 30 years after the end of the war. See, good news is only good if you hear it. A prisoner who is emancipated and set free but never finds out. That isn't good news for them. They're still in jail. The guy who the war has ended. He never found out, right? It wasn't until his commander, his former commander, they recruited his former commander to go into the woods and find him and, 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 and finally issue him his freedom from that commission and those orders. And he laid down his weapons. He wasn't a crazy dude. He went on to live this like incredible life. He went into agriculture and he started schools and, and, and really became a, a, an influential social figure. He was just being faithful, right? He just needed the good news shared with him so that he could act on it. You guys, at the heart of the gospel is good news. The word gospel literally means good news or message of joy. It's a message of freedom and emancipation, that hostilities have ceased between us and God, and that that means that hostilities can cease in every form of relationship, that reconciliation has been won at a dear cost, and it's offered freely. That the God of creation is committed to recreation, And that message has been entrusted to us. That message of joy, that message of power has been committed to us as followers of Jesus. 
Very simply, the God of the universe who spoke the worlds into existence has spoken a new word in his son. And it is a word of life and forgiveness and renewal. It is good news. And then he tells us as his followers to tell others. To become the messengers. Now here's the thing. It's news worth sharing. And I'm going to start with the gospel again. Because if we don't drive home the gospel, we're going to move out in wrong motivation or in the wrong way. For us to be authentic messengers of the gospel, we need to be deeply engaged by the gospel, right? We need to understand it and it needs to be doing deep work within us. So take a look at verses 17 and 18 because Paul kind of starts in the same spot. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, it's interesting in the Greek is that those words, he is a, are not there. Literally, it says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, (laughs) just new creation. He is, she is, there is. It's, it's just this proclamation in Christ, new creation, right? It starts over. There is a new beginning. It is this incredible thing, right? In verse three, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The real historic man, Jesus lived and died and rose again. And he did it for a purpose. He did it as part of a plan to become the forerunner of a new creation. When he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, right? He's a new creation. She's a new creation. They're part of a new creation. What he's saying is, is they're part of a bigger story. Last week, we unpacked this, and I'm not going to re-preach it, but I want to show it to you. Last week, we talked a little bit about napkin theology, this idea where we take a really complex, big idea, we simplify it, something you can share on a napkin, um, and and there's six stages to the entire Bible, six stages to what we call the gospel story, because the entire Bible is the good news of who God is and what he's done. And so when you look at the entire Bible, the big picture, you see there are six acts to this story, okay? And just to review, very simply, it means God created Right? God spoke the world into existence and it was good. It was very good. There was a glorious hum to the creation. What that means is there were different parts who had different people, different things, different roles, but they were all on the same key. There was a harmony. There was a shalom that defined the created order. There was a glorious hum until mankind rebelled and broke the hum by breaking relationship with God. Man rebelled against his king. God, uh, man rejected his creator. Man looked to God and said, you will no longer be our center. We will center on ourselves. We will no longer be dependent on you. We will be dependent on ourselves. And they plunged the created order into a glorious ruin. It is glorious because there are still notes of the original creation in it. Wonderful things in life. It is a ruin because it's been broken from the shalom of God, broken from what it was created for to live in the life of God. And as sons and daughters of Adam, we are in Adam. Simple way of putting it. What that means is that we're born into the same condition. And we live in this world of glorious ruin. And we experience it ourselves. There are aspects of our lives that are glorious, that taste of of heaven. And we know, give us a foretaste of things that are real and powerful and lasting. And there are things that are ruinous in ourselves and around ourselves that we taste as well. Things that hurt, that break, um, that don't work as they're supposed to, right? In response to that, we went into a period of promise. God didn't reject. He didn't walk away. He, he, he instead promised that he would send a hero. God stayed engaged. He kept talking, right? Even though we rejected relationship, he kept talking, basically saying, look, I'm going to invite you into trust. So there's a season of promising and of covenants until he finally sends Jesus, represented by the cross, right? He sends the hero 
who becomes the word of God in the flesh, right? The actual message of God in human form. And he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die. And he rose again, having died for us, to reconcile us to God, to do the work of, of healing that rift, right? And to begin a new creation, to start a new work that's no longer defined by being an Adam. It's now defined by being in this new hero, this, this new man, Christ. Out of that comes this great adventure, this season that we call the church where the church is sent. It lives on the mission of the gospel. It's about us going deep in the gospel, about us discovering the gospel and sharing the gospel. During this age, God is building his church through the church. Now remember the word church, ekklesia, the Greek word literally means the called out people of God. Going to church isn't going to a building. The building is just where the people gather. Right? The church is the living people. Right? So God is building this company of living people who are followers through the testimony of those living people. Right? Until we get to the final stage, which is God's restoration. The second coming. When God, um, what the, the new age that started at the cross is inaugurated, fully realized in the second coming. When all things are set right. right? When there's a global, universal restoration. You guys catch this, because I want you to see this. The universe was created to flow in love. When I talk about the glorious hum of creation, the key, the key that created that glorious harmony was love. The God of love created a universe out of love to be harmonized in love. Every relationship was marked by, defined by love. At the heart of the message of the gospel is reconciliation. And reconciliation can only take place in relationship. It's all about love. It's all about renewing the experience of love, love with God, understanding how to love ourselves healthy, how to love one another, how to love the rest of creation. You guys, where, where Adam broke relationship with God and rejected the love of God by rebelling against him, Christ reconciles through his obedience. By being faithful as a representative for us, he obeyed where Adam disobeyed. He, he not only obeyed for himself, but he ended up taking away the offenses and paying the price for our rebellion so that we could be forgiven. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Now notice, who's doing the action and who's receiving it? God does the reconciling. It's his work for us. God, this isn't advice about how we can be reconciled to God. This isn't a list of rules that we can obey to somehow make God happy with us. This isn't how do we, we become religious so that God somehow gets impressed with us. The gospel is news about how the God of the universe solved our problem by taking our place, by doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, right? And that's where um, verse 21 is such incredible good news. This is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. Chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, who never sinned, never rebelled, was perfect in his obedience, made him sin. When? On the cross. He became our substitute in judgment. He was crushed in our place. He took the weight of our iniquity. He took the punishment of our crime. And he fully satisfied the justice of God in our place. It is a demonstration of the holiness and the love of God. And he rose again. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 
not so that we could fix ourselves for God, not so that we could somehow make ourselves righteous enough that now God loves us, but so that we could actually be covered with the righteousness of Christ. His obedience, his record, his, his goodness is ours. When we are in Christ, we are covered with Christ, right? That's the glorious message of the gospel, that at the heart of this, God substituted himself for man, even though man was determined to take God's place. God loved us enough to step into our sin so that he could invite us back into holy love. So we can be brought back into a new creation, a restored relationship. A world in which love once again flows freely between God and his creation, us and one another, right? It begins with our reconciliation with God. When we believe in Jesus, we are reconciled to God. There's no longer an offense. There's no longer a separation. We now have, according to Romans 5, peace with God. The God of the universe, the one whom we rebelled against, the one we offended. We now have peace with him. That, that is a, a declaration of legal standing before God in which we, there's no longer an offense because Jesus paid for it all. And because we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. Like we can actually grow in a loving relationship with God once again, even though we're broken because Jesus bridged the gap, paid the price and invites us back in, covers us with his righteousness, right? So we have reconciliation with God, but it also means we have reconciliation with ourselves. You guys know guilt? We've all experienced guilt and shame. Guilt is always associated with things we do. Shame is always associated with who I am. I feel guilt for the way I have harmed others. I feel guilt for ways that I have defrauded others. I feel guilt for ways I have, I have used or hurt others. I feel shame for what that tells me about myself, that I have things to hide, that I have things that shouldn't be exposed. When Jesus died, he died for our guilt and he removed our shame. He, he is the source of reconciliation for ourselves that we can learn how to, to not be defined by who we were, not be defined by what we've done, not be defined by what was done to us, but to be defined by who he is and who he is calling us to be. That's good news. It's reconciliation with ourselves that we can be free to grow into who God has called us to be, not be defined by who we were or what we've done. We have reconciliation with one another. It restores love to our relationship with others. As, as we learn to accept forgiveness from God, as we learn to, to love ourselves with a, a godly love, we also learn to love others. As we accept the forgiveness of God, we learn to forgive others. As we free ourselves from, from beating ourselves up over past guilt and shame, we learn to release others in our heart. We don't build a cage in our heart to define others by their past deeds, by their mistakes or willful sins. We free them. In grace, it reconciles us to once again let love flow. It reconciles us with the created order, this broken world. There's a lot of suffering in this world. There's a lot of broken things in this world, right? Plunged into the lack of shalom because of the act of Adam. And we see it around us every day, but, but the gospel reconciles us to these things. See, this is why it's good news for my buddy. My buddy, um, we went to high school together and we kind of went separate ways after high school. I became a believer and he went actively into just a crazy lifestyle of, of just rebellion and, and all that. He, he came back to faith um, later in his life and he and I reconnected. Well, he's currently dying. The guy's riddled with bone cancer. I mean, it's miserable. It's bad news. How's the gospel good news for him? <laughs> because it tells him that this is not the end of his story. He's, even though he is still defined by the brokenness of Adam, he is marked by the wholeness of Christ. He has a glorious future. 
what he is suffering in this present age isn't all there is. He doesn't have to find perfect health, perfect fulfillment, perfect success now because he's been promised so much more. It gives him hope to be able to suffer through the brokenness of this created order when things just go wrong because things go wrong to do it with hope, recognizing that that doesn't define or end the story, that there is still a glorious future of recreation. See, the gospel is good news. Good news of reconciliation, good news of a restoration of love, good news of of the restoration of hope. And Jesus paid the price of our reconciliation with his blood. He gave his life so that we might have hope. And then he makes us ministers of reconciliation. He reconciles us through his sacrifice and resurrection, and then he makes us ministers, agents, servants of that reconciliation. It's good news to be lived, and it is good news to be shared. Take a look at verses 17 through 20. The old has passed away. Behold, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now pay attention. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them because Jesus took them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, God did the work in Jesus for your reconciliation. And now as a believer, he, not, he doesn't just want to reconcile you. He wants to work through you so that others might be reconciled. He calls you an ambassador. Follower of Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is your title. You are an ambassador of Christ. Not some of you. Right? We have this weird view in the Western world that, that the paid people of the church are supposed to do the work of the church. That's not biblical. The church is the called out people of God. And if you're a follower of Christ, um, then you're, you're an ambassador. With all the privilege and responsibility that comes with that. Right? It's not those who, who are smart enough to be able to give an answer in every situation, those that are intelligent enough to be able to be clever, those that can win every argument, those who have their act together, those that don't struggle. This isn't something you earn. It is a title that is given to you. It is a gift that comes with your reconciliation. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are Christ's ambassador. You are a minister or an agent or a servant of reconciliation. So what does that mean? It means that he wants you to live it out, right? The reconciliation that we're given in Jesus, we're supposed to live it out. We're supposed to grow in our relationship with God, grow in our gospel identity where we're being freed from our past and freed to who God has declared us to be, free, growing in our relationship with one another, moving into gospel freedom and forgiveness and envisioning of one another. We spent a, <laughs> That's where we spend most of our time on those three topics, right? Just kind of talking about how we grow in the gospel. Um, he wants you to live it out. And and in doing so, you're going to model it and experience it and give a powerful platform for sharing it because he does want you to share it. He wants you to tell others who he is and what he's done. He has entrusted to us the message 
It's a sacred entrustment. In Roman times, ambassadors were an essential part of the social structure. The Roman Empire during the time of Paul, during the time of Christ, was huge and getting huger. Okay, uh, It was big and getting bigger. And what would end up happening is if you were a nation state on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, you saw what was coming. I mean, these guys were expanding and you knew they were coming. And so what you would do is you would actually send ambassadors to Rome. And the, the ambassadors were normally nobility. They were the brightest, the, the best, the most beautiful. And they came to Rome looking for good news. Right? They were coming to Rome to basically try to curry favor. They were hoping that as the Roman Empire rolled over them, it would be less of a steamroller and more of a gentle wave. Right? Because it was coming and it was moving. The question was, is how would it affect them when it did? Now, here's the thing. Rome didn't send out ambassadors. They sent out governors. The, Rome was not looking for peace. Rome was establishing authority and giving demands. You guys, the beautiful inversion of the kingdom of God is that he's in a position of strength, but he sends out ambassadors, not governors. He's the offended party, but he doesn't wait for us to sue for peace. He acts on our behalf to achieve peace for us. The power of God is so inversely handled than, than, you know, the way we handle power is all about consolidating and controlling and establishing boundaries God takes his power to give away his love. God exercises his strength so that rebels can be reconciled. Sinners can be forgiven. Broken, lost, hopeless people can be adopted and given glorious futures. See, God is like Rome. He has all the power. He's in the position of influence. And he is the offended party. We're the ones that rebelled against him. And yet he's the one that takes steps to make reconciliation possible. He paid the price of our reconciliation and now he sends us out as ambassadors, as those who have benefited from his work so that we can share it with others. You know, God doesn't wait for the brightest and the best. If he did, he'd never stop waiting. God doesn't wait for the nobility. Look around, there's not a whole lot of that. God works through us, broken people who are being reconciled, who are experiencing the beauty of the gospel. People who, who, are, um, who don't have it together, right? With all of our flaws, with all of our awkwardness, with all of our cowardice, with all of our pride, God works through us. I sit down with a lot of young people and, and often one of the questions I get is, man, how do I find my life's purpose? And what they mean by that is, who am I supposed to marry? Or what's my career supposed to be? Or, or you know, what continent am I supposed to live on, right? And I almost always go back to the same thing. I, you know, I can't answer those questions, but what I can tell you is this. Here's your life's purpose. If you're a follower of Christ, you are an ambassador of Christ. That is the foundational purpose of your life. And there is no higher calling. Like God may lead you to be an engineer, that's awesome. Maybe he's going to lead you to be an artist, awesome, a lawyer, a social worker, a physical therapist. Those are all careers with a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose and they impact people's lives for good, right? But the foundation of purpose is not your success in this world. It's not how well you do or create or raise your kids. The foundation of success is how well you live for the age to come. 
The foundation of success is how powerfully you move into this new identity that Christ died and rose again that you might have. We don't live for the age that's passing away. We live for the age that started at the cross and will be fully realized at his return. During this age, we, we are engineers and we are artists and we are stay-at-home moms and we are all of these things, but we are also in those things ministers of reconciliation. That's the foundation of our identity, right? That, that's what undergirds all the other purposes of life. It means that we represent Christ in every situation, in every interaction, in every human relationship. And we are called upon to live out the power of the gospel in all of those relationships. Showing Jesus in the way that he's changed us, telling about Jesus in the way that, that, that he invites them into it. This can be intimidating, you guys. This is a high calling, and, and I know how far I often fall short of being a good ambassador for Christ. And next week, we're going to talk about how we can do this uh, in effective ways, in ways that aren't weird, that aren't going to completely derail people, um, that aren't going to be seen um, as disrespectful or abusive, and really how we can get out of the way of the message. But today, what I want you to see is that the gospel is good news, even in our failings. I'm full of a, a room of people that probably haven't been always been the greatest ambassadors for Christ. Let's admit it. We haven't always spoken when we should. Sometimes we've spoken when we shouldn't. Sometimes we have, instead of being ministers of reconciliation, we have been ministers of dissension. Instead of being the love that is the grease between the gears, often we're the sand that clogs it up. Let's just be honest. We're not always very good at this thing. And man, what a high calling it is. What a sacred responsibility. So the gospel is good news even in our failings here, you guys. Because while God commissions us to share the gospel, the commission of the gospel isn't dependent on us. See, this is the good news. The God of the gospel will work through the message of the gospel in spite of you. The result is not dependent on you. See, God isn't asking you to be successful. He's asking you to be faithful. The success of, of, of you being an ambassador is not resting on your shoulders. What you need to do is have faith in the one who can bear that weight. Um, verse 20 says this, and I want you to see the tension here, you guys. It's really interesting. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's, that's our identity now. God making his appeal through us. Who's, who's making the appeal? Who's, who's the initiating force there? We're ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. Who's doing it? I want to hear it. Thank you. All right. Now look, at, now look at the rest of this, okay? God is the one making the appeal. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Who's the one making the appeal? Paul. What I want you to see is that we have the responsibility to share the gospel, but it is God who is responsible for the results. He makes his appeal through us. It is his message, his power, and the outcome is his. He's not dependent on us, but he wants to use us. He asks us to be faithful. He takes care of the results. See, Paul is being faithful to share the message of the gospel, but his faith isn't in his ability to get it right. His faith isn't in his ability to get the right results. His faith is in the God of the message, not in his ability to deliver the message well or right. Some of you are hindered in your ability to share the gospel because you're like, well, I'm just not clever enough. I don't think I have the right words. I won't be impressive. People will think I'm foolish. 
There is a foolishness to the cross. There's no doubt about it. I mean, holy cow, it's a message of the God of the universe, the sovereign God humbling himself and taking on the form of a servant and dying in our place and rising again so we can find new life. Yeah, there's no other power structure in the world that resembles that, right? It is foolishness in some ways. But here's the thing, the message, the power of that message isn't dependent on our ability to get it right, to have all the right words. We're supposed to be faithful to the message. There is a rightness there. We're supposed to give the right message. But in giving the right message, it's not about us having the perfect words or, or the perfect illustrations. Or We need to trust the God of the message, not us, the messengers. Does that make sense? Because I'm not adequate. I can't handle this responsibility. I can't take that kind of God weight. I don't know enough. I don't have my act together. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say the wrong things. But here's the thing. I trust in the God of the gospel, not in my ability to deliver the gospel perfectly in every situation. See, how do you become a good messenger? By growing in faith in God. Trust him, right? The God of the message is able to deliver that message through broken vehicles. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, God spoke through all kinds of crazy stuff, like donkeys. (laughs) He can talk through you, right? You just need to trust the God who is faithful. You share the gospel, but it's God who gives the results. The gospel carries its own power. Now, here's the thing, the beautiful thing. Why does God do this? Why does God entrust such an important message to such flawed messengers? Because what he wants to do through us is never as important as what he wants to do in us. He entrusts the message to us so that as we share it, it will change us. As you share the gospel, you will experience the changing power of the gospel. God's made it clear that he will speak through us. Now, some of you are like, doesn't God speak through all of creation? Doesn't the Bible talk about God speaking through the stars? Absolutely. But the stars don't have mouths. <laughs> you do, right? The stars can tell us about God's glory, his power, his infinite nature, our place in the universe that we ourselves are not God. But they can't tell us about a savior, a hero, uh, one who took our place in judgment. That takes a gospel redeemed life and a gospel redeemed tongue. Someone who will speak of the God who has become flesh and done this for us. Somebody who can tell us about a God who's not distant or angry or waiting for us to impress him, a God who has done the work of reconciliation. But we need to speak to make that appeal. And as we do so, here's the thing. God's willing to work through unworthy ambassadors because in the process, he actually changes us and frees us into the power of the gospel. Because the heart of our problem, you guys, the heart of our problem is that we don't trust God. That's the original sin. Adam and Eve looked at God and basically said, we don't trust you. We'll be independent of you. We don't need you. We will only trust ourselves. And from that point forward, we all have difficulty trusting in God, resting in God, being dependent on God. We want to be our own bosses. We want to define our own ends, right? Here's the thing. As you share the gospel, you will become more dependent on God because you're going to be doing something you can't do on your own. It's going to force you out of your comfort zone. It's going to push you into situations in which you are dependent on God. And the God who created you, the God who gave you this message, will prove himself faithful. And as he does, he will increase your faith. As you share the gospel, you'll come to trust him more. You guys, one of the most powerful ways you can grow your faith is to share your faith. Some of you are are stunted in your spiritual growth because you've never found the motivation or courage necessary to actually tell others about Jesus. This is a 
This is part of being a follower of Christ. He not only gives us reconciliation, he gives us the message of reconciliation to share with others. And it will push you out of trust in yourself and into deeper trust in God. And you will experience his love as you share his love. And sharing your faith will increase your love for God and it will increase your love for others. Verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Now think about that for a second. The love of Christ controls us. Isn't this what love does? Doesn't love lead us to a glorious self-abdication? Love is the most glorious freedom loss ever. Is there any way to love someone without giving up freedom? Isn't loving all about taking joy in their joy? Being happy in their happiness? Finding fulfillment in their fulfillment? It means putting them ahead of yourselves? Freedom (laughs) is not better than love. Love actually introduces us to a new kind of freedom that is way better than autonomy. And that's what he's saying here. When he says the love of Christ controls us, what he's saying is I have been so deeply impacted by God's demonstration of love to me that I willingly yield myself to him. I want to take joy in what he takes joy in. I want to be happy in what he's happy in. The love of Christ controls me. I love God because he first loved me. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. I mean, what an incredible demonstration of God's love that he sent his son to be our substitute and die for everyone, right? That there's a free and open invitation for those who would believe. Therefore, all have died and died and he died for all. That those who might live no, lo- no longer live to themselves. That, that as people become believers, they will be freed from their slavery to self-love and be freed into the, to the reconciliation with God and with others and ultimately to live for him who for their sake died and rose again. This is love. As we share the gospel, we will increase our experience of God's love because it pushes us into a greater dependence on God. And as we experience that love, we'll come to love those that God loves. We will see other broken people, and instead of judging them for their brokenness or separating themselves because of their neediness, we will actually see that the gospel is good news for them, and we will love them because the God we love paid such a dear price for them. Think about it. If somebody needs God, who are we not to tell them about him, right? You'll see someone who is, is broken with hopelessness and you will see the hope of the gospel. You will see someone enslaved to addiction and see the key to the gospel that can free them from their addiction to self and into the glorious freedom of Christ. You will see people that are enslaved to empty success because they have to build a name for themselves and say, man, the gospel's so much better because it frees you to rest in Christ even as you work for earthly success. You're going to see how the gospel is good news. And you'll be compelled to share it because you love people, because the love of God has compelled you. Loving the, sharing the gospel is an expression of love for God and love for others. You guys, how much would you have to hate someone not to share this news with them? How much would you have to hate someone who was desperately in need of this message and withhold it from them? There's a great quote. Many of you have probably heard it. It's been around for a little while, but I love it. This guy, Penn Gillette, is part of a, a famous team, of uh, Penn and Teller. They're entertainers. Um, they work different circuits, and, and um, Penn Gillette is a fairly outspoken atheist. He's anti-religious and can be fairly abrasive. And he had, after a, a show one time, a strange encounter, an awkward encounter with a guy who walked up and gave him a Bible and just said, you need this. 
God wants you to read this. And I want you to know that God loves you and sent his son to die for you. And he rose again so you could be forgiven and have new life. All right, this is a highly educated, intellectual, antagonistic person, right? So how did he respond? He said, thank you. And then he went and created a video blog, just kind of in the moment, expressing his emotions. And his words have incredible power. Listen to this. This is what he said. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe that there is a heaven or hell, or that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists think that people shouldn't proselytize and keep religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? Now, he didn't become a believer. Not yet. But he recognized in this awkward exchange a demonstration of love. That this guy was willing to be awkward. This guy was willing to be made fun of. This guy was willing to, to kind of lay down his reputation and, and not be standing on his honor and pride and was willing to just kind of take the awkward place because he loved Penn enough. He didn't believe the message, but he appreciated the messenger. And I guarantee you that helps soften his understanding of who Christians are. See, there are people all around us who need to hear the good news of the gospel, people that are dying, people that look like successes on the surface, people that that haven't even yet found out how their flawed ideas of life are going to lead them to pain and suffering. There are people all around us who are suffering already. We need to care enough to share the truth with them, not judgmentally, not abrasively, not because we're better or superior, but because we're beggars who found bread. And we believe this bread is good enough to share. And so we share it. You know, that guy, Haru Onida, I told you about, um, twice while he was on that island, that island was blanketed with pamphlets. And he found them. And those pamphlets basically said, hey, the war is over. And he would study those pamphlets and look at those pamphlets. But he decided they were allied propaganda, that they weren't trustworthy. And so he rejected them because he was not getting the message in the way he needed to hear it. He needed someone very specific, his former commander, to come and tell him, it's over and you are now released. Who is God going to use you to be the messenger? Who who is God going to use you to be that voice of the message of reconciliation, an ambassador for Christ, that you are going to be used in that way? Next week, we're going to dig into how we can share the gospel effectively because there are times that we share it and honestly, we kind of get in the way. How do we get out of the way so that the gospel does its work? How do we deal with our fear of rejection? How do we deal with our pride? How do we deal with this pluralistic society that tends to reject any idea of exclusivism? We're going to be talking about that. Again, I invite you to Wednesday night, 630. We're going to be digging into those very topics, okay? And, and kind of driving some of that stuff home. But for this morning, I want to encourage you to very simply think about the fact that God has called you to be his ambassador and he has entrusted to you the ministry of reconciliation. So let me give you some, uh, some questions as we move into our time of response. We're going to share communion in a moment. 
But before we do, I'd like you to consider these questions. We're going to create some space, some quietness for you to simply pray and let God speak to you. First of all, how is God prompting you to help bring reconciliation? How is God prompting you? Can we get those reflection questions up there? Thank you. How is God prompting you to bring reconciliation in current relationships? When God calls you a minister of reconciliation, what that means is that you get to bring the grease of the gospel to the gears of life. Where is there conflict? Where is there tension? Where is there hardship that you can become a minister of reconciliation, operating out of the love of God, bringing to bear the practical love of God, taking the humble place, pointing people to something better than divisiveness or judgment or anger? How can you in your workplace, your home, your families become an agent of reconciliation? Simply modeling the beautiful message of the gospel. Secondly, who are you or or who should you be praying for? Trusting that God will open their hearts to the good news. Remember, we're not adequate to bring this message effectively. The message carries its own power. We're completely dependent on God, but what that does mean is that it should push us to a place of dependence. Who's God calling you to pray for? Who in your family? Who in your neighborhood? Who in your workplace? Is God putting it on your heart that that you're supposed to be doing the preemptive evangelism of prayer? of going before God and bringing that person's name before him and pleading with God on their behalf that their eyes might be open to the beauty of his son, that their hearts might be open to the reconciling work of Christ, that they might be set free. And thirdly, what is keeping you from being a good ambassador for Christ? What's hindering you? What fear? What pride? What misconception? What's hindering you? Let's identify it. Let's put a name on it. Let's start praying about it. Doesn't mean we got to fix it, but it definitely means that we can, we can identify, man, this is what's hindering me. God, this is what's going on in my heart. How am I supposed to learn? Or how am I supposed to grow? Or how am I supposed to become more bold? Or how am I supposed to become more gentle? Or how, what is it? Let's identify it and start praying it through because God wants to change you as he uses you. All right, you guys, we're going to move into a time of response. Let me pray for us. Let you guys reflect, do some business with God. And then we'll share communion in a moment. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are Man, you are a God of reconciliation. (laughs) Which means that you are a God who loves us in spite of us. You forgive us. You're patient with us. You do the work that we can be brought near. Man, the price you paid that we might be forgiven and loved is so high. Father, I pray that you would break our hearts with that love. That we would love you because you loved us. And that we would recognize what a high honor, what a tremendous privilege it is that we get to be ambassadors, representatives, spokesmen, spokeswomen, agents of reconciliation.